Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Get Into It with Gila. Today, I interviewed Elisheva Wiener. She is a speech therapist and a feeding specialist, and we had a really, really interesting conversation about how to foster a healthy relationship with food for our children. And ultimately, when we raise competent eaters, they actually grow up to be intuitive eaters. So for those of us, myself included, who have struggled with disordered eating and really negative body image, this is a great episode to listen to because if we are struggling with our relationship with food, we almost inevitably pass that on to our children. And we, of course, don't want to do that. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. I learned a lot and I really enjoyed speaking with Elisheva and I think you're really going to love it. So sit back and enjoy. And if you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and you can visit my website, www.gulaglassberg.com to find other episodes like this and blog posts and other content as well. You could also sign up to speak with me for a 20-minute consultation to get to know me and see if I'm a good fit if you want to work on your relationship with food. You could also go to my website to see upcoming workshops that I give, and I also give an online course that have has been getting really great reviews. So please go to my website, www.gulaglassberg.com, to view all those things and to learn more. Now, without further ado, let's get to the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. I know you're going to love the content here because you will gain inspiration, powerful tools and insights, and valuable knowledge. If you want more of this, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or visit me on Instagram at gilaglassberg. I'm Gila Glassberg, a registered dietitian and intuitive eating counselor. I have come to realize by counseling many, many women that this work is much deeper and greater than food and body image. It's the bigger picture challenges we face of love, belonging, acceptance, what our true values and goals are, noticing them, addressing them, and gaining skills to move forward. If you have been struggling with what your life's purpose is, or you just feel stuck in general and don't know what's holding you back, this podcast will enlighten and inspire you to take action and move forward. This podcast is about other women in the 21st century who feel that losing weight will fix all their problems or somehow meet their unmet needs. Okay, hi everybody. Welcome to another episode of Get Into It with Gila. Today I have Elisheva Wiener, the feeding specialist. Hi Elisheva. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us. I'm so excited. Me too. Um, so could you tell us all a little bit about yourself? Where do you live? What do you do? Okay, sure. So I'm Elisheva Wiener, the feeding specialist. Um, I'm located in Muncie, New York. Um, and I work remotely um, via phone sessions. Um, I am a feeding therapist and I specialize in picky eaters. Um, and I mostly do workshops um, and one-on-one -on -one clients. Okay, awesome. So what exactly is a feeding specialist for those people who don't know? Okay, so that's a really great question because it's actually pretty vague. Um, a feeding therapist can either be a speech therapist or an occupational therapist. Um, and the reason for that is that it's um, kind of mixed in our scope of practices. It kind of falls into both categories um, because speech is all about the mouth um, and feeding is all about the mouth. So there's that segue. And occupational therapy is very much sensory related and most feeding problems have a sensory component 
there. So it's kind of vague, but I am a speech therapist. That's um, my degree. And um, I specialize in feeding therapy, which is a specialty within the field. Okay, very cool. So how did you, how did you like pick that career? How did you pick that specialty? Okay, so this is like my favorite story to tell because it really would just was, you know, life's path for me. Um, I was a speech therapist working in a school and um, my second daughter, uh, when she was a baby and I was starting to introduce her to solids, right away I knew there was something wrong. This was about the five, five and a half month mark. Um, and as a speech therapist, I knew something was wrong because there was a lot of crying involved. There was a lot of gagging, vomiting, um, and it just became a really, really stressful time for both me and her. Um, and I reached out to you know the necessary um, people and got her evaluated. Um, and at the time that she was evaluated, she was actually like nine months old, um, and she got a full comprehensive evaluation, and she was um, functioning in terms of her feeding was at the one month mark. So she was real had really regressed, not just with not going forward in solid food, um, but with her bottle intake, she was regressing rapidly. And when they sent me the speech therapist to do the therapy um, from the agency, um, the therapist didn't really know much about feeding therapy. Mm -hmm. And what I realized was, is that in the field of speech therapy, a lot of therapists don't really know that much about feeding therapy. Um, and so I started to do my own research because I was the parent and I needed to figure this out. So me with the speech therapist and with the team, we kind of did a lot of research. We figured things out. Um, it was so interesting. And that really just, you know, right there just caught me. And I was like, Hey, I'm, this is what I want to do. Wow, I just got goosebumps because first of all, I didn't know that story. And second of all, that's really intense to go through that with your child. Like, you know, something's wrong, maybe because of your clinical practice, but you yeah. also don't know how to fix it. And then you have like a professional come and try to help you and they don't really know because it's true, I guess, like when we are clinically trained, we're trained in general. And unless we get like that really, really specific training, it, we don't really know that much. Just Exactly. Just Exactly. And that's really why it's a specialty. Um, you know, in college, um, I think I had one class on feeding. Uh, well, two, one for adults and one in pediatrics that was all hospital based. So there wasn't anything really um, about most kids who need the feeding therapy. Um, so that was kind of like my segue into feeding therapy. But what kind of got me even further was um, once my second daughter was getting the help she, she needed and she was um, progressing and really doing well. Um, and to this day, I always say there's so much hope because she's my best eater. She's my most adventurous eater. And I really think it's because of all the therapy we did with her. Um, I kind of had, took a step back and looked at my older daughter, who at the time was such a picky eater. And she was, I mean, it was really difficult for us. Our feeding dynamic was all about bribing, um, threatening, um, convincing, manipulating her into just eating. And it was so stressful. The family just, it was so stressful. And meals happen three times a day, every day, right. every day. And it was so stressful. Um, so I kind of took a step back and I'm like, if I am doing this feeding therapy um, to help someone who's really not eating well, um, and really needs the help, then why can't I figure out, you know, what I can do for my older daughter, who's just, you know, the regular picky, doesn't want to eat. 
So why can't I help her? And that's really where I delve deeper. Um, and that's where I really learned about um, how I practice today with the division of responsibility from Ellen Satter. That was that opened the world um, and kind of helped me figure out the feeding dynamic and the feeding relationship and the value of that. Um, so I guess we'll probably talk, you know, more about that. I'm assuming. Um, but it's, I just want to continue with my story because it's really interesting because once then I was working with my older daughter, um, you know, on the relationship with food, then I had to take a real look at myself and be like, what am I doing with my food? And what messages am I kind of giving over to my daughters about food? And what do they see me doing when I look in the mirror and I'm examining my body and, um, you know, shaming myself? What are they seeing? Um, and that's really like the full package that I was able to find intuitive eating. Um, so I found it through my daughters and like just the whole journey was just amazing um, and just really life-changing. So how did you find intuitive eating? So that's really a great question. Um, so as I said, I was doing, I, I first stepped into the division of responsibility, um, you know, kind of intuitive eating for children. I was immersed in that world first. I didn't know about intuitive eating, but as I was working with my daughter, I was kind of working with myself in that same way. Um, and I wasn't familiar with intuitive eating at all. And I kind of started doing that work on my own. And then I came across it um, actually from a Facebook group, um, the intuitive eating um, group for, for Jewish women. Mm -hmm. I forget the exact name. Something like that. Intuitive eating. Yeah. Woman, yeah. And that was when it had just started. It had just began. There was only a couple followers. It was a really small group. Um, and I came across it. I joined and I just was like, whoa, this is amazing. There's so much out there that I don't know and that I can learn and that can really help me with my practice and my job, um, you know, with feeding children, because a lot of it starts with us as adults. So first of all, I want to say, I'm going to put it in the show notes, the, the Facebook group, because so many people keep saying that to me and I'm like, right, I need to tell more clients and people about this group because that's where people really get support and clarity. So that's a really good point that you pointed that out. Um, and I want to talk a lot about the division of responsibility, but just walk us through, like, how did you find division of responsibility? Was it from school? Was it from like your own research? how did you find that? Yeah, so I, it was not, I had not heard about it in school at all, um, not in my training at all. Um, it was really through my own research. I was reading a lot of books, a lot of articles. Um, I was really just, whatever I can get my hands on, that's what I was reading. Um, and it started with, you know, my first daughter, well, she's my second daughter, but the first one who was having an issue and needed feeding therapy, um, that's really what opened up in terms of the world of research and, you know, with feeding and pediatrics. And then I kind of stumbled across it um, with all that research. And I was like, hey, what is this? And then, you know, of course, I took out every single one of Ellen Satter's books. Okay. And, um, you know, I looked at all the studies that were done. Um, and I was like, this, this, is, this is it. Like, I, I, it spoke to me. So tell us what, what is the, I guess, the main point of the division of responsibility? Okay, so the division of responsibility it pretty much is what it sounds like. It divides the responsibility between the parent and the child in the feeding relationship and the feeding dynamic. Each person has their own job, and as long as um, each party is sticking to their responsibility, that's where the feeding um, can happen in a very organic and 
really loving way and we don't fall into the power struggles and the pitfalls that many times come along with feeding children. Um, so the basic setup is the parent is in charge of the what of feeding, the when of feeding, and the where of feeding. So what's being served, where it's being served, and when it's being served. And the child is responsible for whether to eat or not and how much to eat. Okay, got it. So um, so I already, I obviously already knew that and I teach my clients this also, but I would love for the listeners to hear how it actually works in a feeding dynamic. So um, can you tell us like when, so, so you use the division of responsibility with your second daughter? I use it for all my children. Absolutely. Right. But when you first started learning about it, like, was it, was it something that you implemented with your second daughter who was only nine months or was you first used it with your older daughter? So I first used it with my older daughter. Um, my second daughter, again, because she was in feeding therapy, um, and she was, um, you know, her feeding issues really were problematic and they needed to be worked on, um, not just a surface level of power struggle behavioral issue around food but she had more severe um, issues where it was stemming from um, so it wasn't just like oh she's a picky eater it was that she had some medical issues that needed to be addressed and therefore um, was coming out in this way um, so once kind of the medical issues re were resolved we then we had to build up her kind of tolerance and her um, just her wanting to eat because eating again for her was such a negative experience. Mm -hmm. um, so we really had to combat that. But I really implemented the division of responsibility with my oldest daughter, who was just a regular, typical picky eater. Um, I mean, I was pulling my hair out um, right. <laughs> every meal time. Mm -hmm. um, and I just want to share, I want to share a story if I can for your listeners, because it was something where I realized like, hey, things are not working. Um, so I had like, the way I was parenting and the way I was feeding my oldest daughter, um, this is years and years ago, was that, you know, I had told her how many bites she needed to eat and that's what she needed to eat. And I, and I stuck to my guns. I mean, I, I am one who can stick to those boundaries and those rules. So I had the rules and, you know, and she would do them. And it was, it was technically working for us. The short-term um, goals were being met. She was eating, you know, her, her bites of chicken and her bites of salad. She was eating them. But again, it was, there was such a negative relationship happening and it was straining our relationship so dearly in every other aspect, because I was kind of this like boss lady who just had to be watching with my eye, like, right. you need to be eating. So one day what happened was, is that she went, you know, it was dinner time. She went to eat and it, I believe it was chicken, rice and steamed vegetables for dinner. And I had to go use the bathroom. So I left and I came back and her plate was empty. And I'm like, wait, what? It was like, it was five seconds. It wasn't, it wasn't that long. And she's like, yeah, I ate it. And I was like, okay. And I knew something was up and I was like, I'm not going to make it into a thing, you know? But of course I went to the garbage and there was her food right. and I stopped and I'm like, what am I doing? This is not healthy. This is not okay. Like this is going to create problems. And that's when really I was like, okay, not happening anymore. <laughs> We're stopping this track and we got to figure this out. And that's where division of responsibility came in and saved our relationship and saved her feeding. Um, till this day, she's, 
she's more selective about what she'll eat. She, you know, she's more particular, mm -hmm. but um, in, in a way that's almost like so intuitive and I love it. I always say mm -hmm. she's, she's the one that teaches me like, it's okay to be picky about your food in ways. You mm -hmm. don't have to love everything and you can only eat what you really enjoy. Um, and sometimes I need that reminder. Um, so when I implemented the division of responsibility with her, it was a slow progress um, rate because we had so much damage that we kind of needed to do from the story. You could tell where we were at. Um, and it took time for her to build that trust, um, to trust me and to trust herself. And um, it took a while, but it's so, so worth it. And I, I believe like the first time she ate chicken on her own, voluntarily without me, you know, pushing my agenda, I, I almost cried. I'm like, I could never imagine that she would eat without me having to, to kind of force her to eat. Totally. So that's, thanks for sharing that story. And I will also say that my oldest is seven, also a girl. Um, also strong, strong willed. I could see her doing that. And I also, I learned about the division of responsibility, like maybe when she was like three or four. So like there wasn't that much damage done, but it was like really funny to see that. I was like the dietitian, I know what you need to eat. I, I know what's healthy for you. And like, it worked until she went to school. But then when she went to school, she's like, why don't you buy regular pretzels? These noodles are so brown. You know, like she didn't want to eat the foods that I was making her or whatever. And I, I didn't like, I wasn't, I wasn't flexible. And yeah, like now she's definitely, definitely my best eater, which is really funny. But, um, so how old was your daughter when this was happening? Um, so she was about four or five years old. Okay. And could you tell us like how, you don't have to tell us exactly like what you did, but like how long did it take for you to start building that trust? Or when you first read, like, you know, I know Alan said I recommend, so when you say like the parent decides the what, the when, the where, and the child decides how much and if any, some people even say like serve the dessert with the same meal. Some people say you don't have to do that. You know, like I've heard different schools of thought, but I know when I say that to parents, they are like, that's crazy. I would never do that. They would only eat the cupcake. I'm like, they might only eat the cupcake for like a week, but then when they see, you know, but not, I don't force, I don't like push that because I know how scary that can be. So what was it like for you? Yeah. So when I first heard that and read that, I was like, okay, I don't know. I don't know. This doesn't sit well with me. You know, this is too soon. And the beauty of it is, is that you don't have to do that. It's just an option. Um, it's an option also that I give my clients. I teach my clients. I talk about it in my uh, Feeding Fundamentals workshop. Um, it is really scary for parents because, again, the way that we think about food, um, many people think about food, um, it kind of doesn't make sense. But um, And I go into real detail about this in my workshop um, because we go into desserts and we go into play foods. We go into all this. Um, you know, I tell parents, if you think about it, it's actually really interesting because you know, we ask kids to eat, like they come to the meal and they eat, and then they're full. And then we come out with a very yummy, delicious, exciting dessert. Right. So we're kind of reinforcing the idea that they should overeat. Right. Um, and that's the really one aspect of it. And mm -hmm. the second aspect is, the, is that it does put down the meal food um, because it makes it, oh, this is like our chore food. We have to get through this in order to get our dessert. Um, even 
if it's not so um, outright, it is underlying that kind of message. So children can learn that meal food is kind of like a chore um, and they're kind of just getting through it. And we don't want kids to relate to food in that way. We want kids to enjoy all foods, um, you know, to have a healthy relationship with all foods. So that's one way you can do it. But again, it can be really scary for clients to start that way. And I get it because I also was very scared about that. And I didn't do that for a while. Um, at first, I implemented the division of responsibility um, and I implemented family family style meals. That is something that I that is my number one, you know, recommendation is to institute family style meals, um, which is that everyone in the family who's present comes to the table and the food is served in serving dishes in the middle and everyone can take. And the reason why I feel like this is so important and oh my gosh, there's so many reasons for it. Um, mm -hmm. And again, my Feeding Fundamentals workshop talks all about this, um, but it's really important for kids to to have that and trust that they are in charge of the whether to eat or not and how much. Mm -hmm. And by that setup, that the food is in the middle of the table and each person is taking on their own, that just um, really fosters that, that they should be in charge of that because they're taking it on their own. And of course, little kids need assistance and that's okay. Um, but that setup really just fosters the division of responsibility so that they can do their responsibility. So, uh, so you said little kids, like I know a lot of my clients ask me, like, what if my client, what if my child can't, you know, serve themselves a meal? So what's your recommendation age-wise? So the best is really to get them involved um, and serving themselves as young as possible. Again, assistance, if they just need, you know, you can hold the, the serving spoon with them while they're taking. Um, and even young children, like, you know, babies who are still in high chairs or toddlers still in high chair, um, you know, there, there are ways to allow them to decide. So you can either put, you know, um, if you're giving it to the, on, on a plate or on their tray, you can give, start off with a small amount and let them eat. And then they ask for more and, or you see that they want more. And this is a really important thing when feeding infants um, and young children who can't talk, you really have to go off their cues. Um, and that we call responsive feeding um, to really respond according to their cues. You have to be very in tune with them. Um, and to allow them to have more when they want more. And that setup already starts that process. Um, and even more than that, what begins the process of division of responsibility is when baby led weaning is implemented because baby led weaning is the approach where um, infants and toddlers self feed. So they feed themselves. They're the ones that are picking it up and putting it in their mouth as opposed to the parent spoon feeding them um, or even feeding them bites of food on a fork. So this allows for them again, sets them up to be the one to do their responsibility. So whatever we can do to set them up to do their job, let's do that and let's foster that for them. Right. So um, I have so many questions and like so many things to say about that. So Go for it. <laughs> first of all, I wanted to ask you, um, I can imagine what the answer is, but for the listeners, I want them to hear the whole process. So with your daughter, you said that the you not using the division of responsibility and feeding time becoming such a struggle was having a strain not only on the feeding relationship, but on the whole relationship. So what, why, why does that happen? And like, I, I see this a lot with my clients and I think they're confused. So what, why do you think that happens? Yeah, so I always say like feeding is like a microcosm for everything else um, in terms of our parenting. And, um, you know, the feeding, 
really feeding happens, as I said, it happens multiple times a day and every day. And it's something that we, especially as mothers and parents in general, um, we kind of have this like, we need to feed our children, we need to nourish them, we need to give to them. And um, this is the way and it's biologically and, you know, in tune with us, like we want to nourish them. Um, and I think that parents many times can fall into this kind of trap of wanting the best for them, but again, not knowing how to really implement that um, and put it into practice the right way. And not only um, is it not doing what we intend to do, which is nourish them, but we're actually kind of taking a step back, which is, which is really, really, you know, sad because we really just have the best intentions when we're parenting our children. And sometimes we don't realize that what we're doing is really um, harmful in some ways or you know, making things harder for us, harder for them. Um, so, and you're gonna need to guide me back to the question because I'm rambling a little bit. So I said, why, why was it that the feeding relationship was strained but then every part of the relationship? Right, yeah. right. Okay, yes, thank you, Gila. No problem. So, <laughs> So yeah, so the feeding relationship is really, it's, it's really just one aspect of our parenting relationship and the relationship we have with our children. So it ends up being that this is happening all the time, right? It's happening multiple times a day, every day. And then it kind of goes into other areas. So if you're taking the role as, oh, I need to tell you what to do and I need to force you to do the things I want you to do. And you're doing that when it comes to feeding. So that's again, multiple times a day, every day. Okay, so then you're gonna automatically take that role with you into your other parenting. Um, the Probably the number one thing that comes next is sleeping. Um, and I have a lot of clients who have issues with bedtime. It's, it's really, really hard because again, it's like we want, our, we want what's best for our child. We want them to get their sleep. Um, but the, sometimes the way that we do it is really um, kind of backfires. Right, definitely. So, um... That's really interesting about the sleep. So I don't really see that, but maybe I just don't know about it from my clients. I'm not sure, um, but that makes sense. So what I was gonna ask you on top of that question is that you mentioned that you were struggling to feed your children like it was a battle. And then when you learned about um, division of responsibility and then also intuitive eating, which is really common. And just for the listeners to know, people who raise their children with this model, division of responsibility are raising intuitive eaters. So they kind of go hand in hand. But you said that like you noticed that you really had to look at your own relationship with food, right? Like you had to look in the mirror and be like, what am I projecting? So yeah. so is that what you see often with your clients that they are projecting their own unhealthy relationship with food? Yeah, I see it many times. And many times I need to work with my client um, simultaneously or sometimes separately. Um, either, you know, we, we want to kind of focus first on their child because that's why they're coming to me. But we sometimes have to do a lot of work around their own thoughts about food and their body and what, um, where it's all coming from. Um, many of us don't really realize because again, we live in a society where it's so normal. Um, you know, diet culture is all around us and it's, it's so just part of our everyday that sometimes we don't even realize the, the messages that we think and that we're receiving and then what we're in, in part turning over to our kids. Um, so I do encourage all my clients when I'm working with them, with their kids to do their own work um, and to really delve into intuitive eating for themselves. Um, it really, just a parent, you know, going through that journey of intuitive eating and being able to tune into their body and um, 
you know, look at food at, in terms of a neutral um, way really does wonders for their kids. And it's such a simple thing that you can do. Well, it's not really simple, but I'm saying it's something that you can do and you can control because it's about you. And it's something that will um, benefit your child. So it's definitely something I encourage my clients to do. Right. Like a lot of times I'll tell a client, like, I think I have to work with you. Like, I think I have to work with the mother before, or maybe I don't even have to work with the child because it's really the atmosphere of the house. Um, and I also wanted to say, the reason why they go hand in hand is because it makes so much sense. Like basically when you, when you force your child to eat, like this is what you eat and this is how much you have to eat of it. You threaten their autonomy. And it's the same thing when we force ourselves what to eat. Like you want to eat the pizza, but you should really eat the salad. You want to eat the hamburger, but like you really shouldn't, or you really should have vegetables instead or whatever. And you're just really threatening your own autonomy. So I, it makes sense that that's what we're projecting onto our own children because even though it's so funny, because like when you when you said that your daughter threw out the food, you realized like it wasn't working. Like so many people, I think they realize on some level, like this is not working. Like that this dieting isn't working, or this forcing our kids to eat isn't working. But maybe it's because like because of what you said, we're so like entrenched in diet culture that like we don't see another way. Like, do you think that's what it is? Yeah. So I think that we really have it all, you know, surrounding us. And it's really hard to, you know, sift through all that and tune into our own bodies and figure out what we really need because we have so many messages that are telling us all these rules and all these things that we should and shouldn't and so much about that. Um, you know, unless somebody is doing the work, um, I, I really, I really find it difficult how not to give a part of that over to our children. And then our children go out into the, the same world that we're in um, and it just gets reinforced there. So it's really something that parents um, can do and I, I encourage it tremendously. And I commend every parent who you know tunes into themselves and learns um, to do that and focus on their relationship with food because that's the greatest gift that you can do for your child. Right, so like the example that we were talking about, about giving dessert on the same plate or the same table as the rest of the meal, a parent might be afraid to do that because they would, either they would never do it for themselves or if they were to do it, it would feel very, it would feel very guilty or shameful. Like, oh my gosh, I'm eating a cupcake for, for dinner, you know? So obviously they're going to project that onto their child. Um, so now just one more thing. I wanted you to explain, like the, the main division of responsibility is the parent decides the what, the where, and the when and the child decides how much and if any, but what are the other like caveats or rules? Like, um, like I don't know, I'm sure you know, but the ones that, like I'll say what I teach, but I wanna hear the ones that you teach. Sure, so as I previously mentioned, um, family style meals are a huge aspect of it. Um, and that's something that, again, like, it really makes for a difference. Um, and I encourage everyone to really sit down. Um, a lot of busy moms, you know, don't sit down with their kids when they're eating. And it really makes such a difference um, when we do. So why, so, yeah. why, does, why does it make a difference when we eat with them? Okay, so yeah, this is, right, this, is a, this is a good one. No, this is a good one. Yeah. Um, it makes such a difference because um, first of all, you have the, the parent is sitting at the table modeling for the child, which really does wonders for children. They look towards their parents as models, just like we spoke about what messages are you giving over 
because they're looking towards you to see how to figure out the world. So the same way they're looking towards you to figure out how to navigate the table, how to navigate what foods to put on, how much to put on, they're looking at you to see what you're doing. Um, so there's that modeling aspect and, and that really can help um, deal with picky eaters as well when they see a healthy model, um, someone who's um, you know, courageous and someone who's adventurous in terms of their, their eating, they can be encouraged that way. Um, and then it also helps because again, it's the relationship aspect. You're sitting down to a meal and you're bonding over food. Um, and that relationship, it's building up the positive aspects of that. Um, and that's really where I tell clients to start because what many clients come to me starting with is that there's a lot of negative, um, this negative dynamic and this negative relationship. And there's a lot of things that are going in the negative direction. And I always say, start building the positive. Um, and if you can sit down and talk, have a nice conversation and talk with your child about your day, um, maybe something you're grateful for and start bonding over food, that builds up that positive um, atmosphere. And that's going to make your child um, encouraged to want to be at the table and to enjoy being at the table and to enjoy eating together. So I love that because it's like, it, you're not even really focusing on the food. I mean, obviously there is, there is a focus on the food, but like, I think it's important for parents to hear this, that like just the modeling itself, just the positive atmosphere, like if, if dinner time becomes a war zone, which it does for a lot of people, then yeah, it's uncomfortable for everyone. And I was going to say that I had um, one of my kids' friends over. And I think her mom was saying like, oh, she doesn't really eat anything. Like she's not going to eat like your dinner. And like my kids were like so happily enjoying this like fresh breaded chicken on the bone. And she's like, could I try some? And I told her mother, she was like floored. I can't believe she tried it. And it's like really interesting to see how like if we don't force a kid to eat, if we don't force ourselves to eat or not to eat a certain food and we see other people modeling it and enjoying it and being relaxed about it and being, you know, adventurous about it, like it really it really makes a huge difference. Yeah, it really, really does. And that's also why I just want to bring in infants and babies for a minute. Um, that's why, again, the baby-led weaning approach, which, um, I mean, I actually advocate for a dual approach, which is the traditional, you know, spoon-feeding puree, um, and also the baby-led weaning, which is giving your, your infant um, solid foods. Because again, it invites them into that family dinner and they're eating the same foods that everybody else is eating and we can all eat together and that invites it and just facilitates it in such, an, in such a nice way. And um, yeah, and one of the workshops that I do is um, that's coming out actually soon is first feedings and that's all about, you know, introducing um, the first solid foods to your baby and how to do that, how to go about it. Um, and really the best thing for a parent is like, if we can start this process from the very beginning, um, when we first are introducing the food to them and then continue it through their childhood. Um, and then we can kind of bridge that gap um, into intuitive eating in their kind of in their um, older child teen years, then then we've done we've done what we what we set out to do, which is teach our child how to nourish themselves and trust their body and um, eat according to their needs. And that that's amazing. If we can do that, um, then all the things that we're dealing with, how to undo, you know, the food critic and everything going on in our heads um, from diet culture. If we can give that over to our kids, right? If we can give them a way to just foster that intuitiveness that they're born with as babies then they won't have to deal with all this. Like they won't. And that's, that's I think the biggest thing that I have that drives me for what I do um, is if we can start with children 
start with babies and, and we can just, again, continue that inborn sense of knowing their body and trusting their body and we can just facilitate it and foster it as they grow up, then they'll be so much better off and they'll be, they won't have to deal with all the problems that we're dealing with. Right, like I always, I always say, and like my clients always say, is that me? That's my feedback. Um, that like they're the ones who end up in my office are the ones who are like forced to be put on a diet as a kid or they were forced to eat. And it's, it's really a little crazy, but I see like exactly what happens even up until adulthood. And I, always, I also always tell my clients, like when your child is, you know, 18 years old or 20 years old and they're going off to seminary or they're going off to yeshiva, like you're not going to be there to tell them what to eat. So like this facilitates that like autonomy and when they get older and when they're out of Kiddush and when they're out of place and there's tons of food, this helps them because that's ultimately what, what they want. Like we do our part, but they're a part of this, you know? Exactly. And that's why the therapy that I do is with all foods because your children need to know how to navigate all foods. Um, yeah, when they're very young and they're in the house, you have, let's say, the most control over what's going on in the house. But as soon as they go to school, like you said, with your own daughter, and then as soon as they're going over to friends' houses, as soon as they're going out to eat together, you know, as they grow up and as they gain it more and more independence, are they going to know how to navigate? Are they going to have this? Or is it going to be like, oh, finally, mom's not here to tell me how to do things. I can do it my way. Right. Or is it that the whole time we're just fostering them to learn how to do it their way so that they can do it when they do go out? Right. Like so many people tell me when they went away to seminary, that's when they gained the most weight because nobody was there to tell them what to eat. It was like the most freedom that they, and they, they couldn't understand why they were binging or overeating or eating everything in sight. And it just makes a lot of sense. Like we, we really yeah. need that freedom. So talk to me a little bit about safe food though, because I want people to know. About okay, sure. So, um, the, the topic of safe food is um, one of the really important critical components um, to really helping your child branch out and feel comfortable at the table at the same time. A safe food is a food that your child feels comfortable around for the most part. So that's a food that you know they're willing to accept, um, a food that they like, a food that they generally eat. Um, and when the parent is deciding the what in feeding, it's always recommended that you include a safe food for your child. Um, and every child, this is gonna be different, okay? It's gonna be according to your child's likes, dislikes, you know your child, you um, kind of have to figure out what their safe food is. Um, and I always say, tell my clients, you know, when they come to me, like always make the list of safe foods because that's what's mm -hmm. gonna help us in terms of our therapy going forward. Um, in so many ways, it's going to help us um, know what we can give them so they feel comfortable while still serving other components of the meal so they can branch out um, and allow them to feel safe at the same table at the same way. Um, but it's that really helpful tool that will allow both the safety and also the ability to branch out. So I love that. Um, and the list of safe foods is not just for that purpose, but it's also um, a start for therapeutically to know when um, some of the strategies that I use and techniques that I use um, are food chaining and the food hierarchy, um, which I know in terms of intuitive eating, that sounds like no, 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 but it's really not a food hierarchy in terms of different foods, but it's the way that we eat food. Um, and I guess maybe I'll just explain a little bit about this. Um, we use this 
Yeah, we use this therapeutically. Um, so we would have at the very beginning, and, and a lot of us, a lot of us don't really think about it this way because we just eat. But for a picky eater, it's really important to think about food in this way. Um, first, the first like kind of bottom tier of the pyramid is um, just being okay and tolerating the physical presence of food. So for example, if a food is served in the middle of the table, right, on a serving plate, um, is your child able to tolerate that? So not even them, it's not even on their plate, they're not even eating it, it's nowhere near them, it's just in the middle of the table for everyone to enjoy what, if they want. Um, can your child tolerate the physical presence of the food? So for a picky eater, many times they can't. Many times you'll have that pick, that person saying, ooh, that, that can't be near me, move it to the other side of the table, or, oh, I can't sit here, That that that's bothering me. Um, so that's a really big step, <laughs> and a lot of people overlook it. Um, and then going up the, the pyramid is um, being able to tolerate um, using, you know, touching it with, um, not directly, indirectly. So for example, with a utensil or um, with a napkin or something of that sort. Um, and then can you tolerate the, the smell or the odor of the food? Um, can you tolerate it um, that now coming in closer proximity? Um, and we start, you know, at the fingertips, can they tolerate touching the food? And then we get closer and closer to the mouth. So um, many times in, in feeding therapy, we'll just place the food on their cheeks. Um, can they tolerate that? If, you know, without eating it at all, um, we move closer. Can they, um, you know, kiss the food? Can they lick the food? Um, and ultimately, can they um, put the food in their mouth, spitting it out so they don't have to um, swallow the food? Um, and then can they chew the food and swallow the food? So that's kind of like all the steps, the pre-pre-pre-steps to eating. Um, and that's kind of the food hierarchy in feeding therapy. That's super interesting really like makes a lot of sense it's it's I like that you're like breaking it down because I think for a lot of parents they don't realize like how traumatic it could be to force a child to eat like it really yeah. is threatening it's like and, and I've heard you speaking about this on Instagram like if like it's like eat your vegetables or like you have to eat like 10 bites of that like of course they're not going to want to eat that like going forward like they're being they're they're literally being forced yeah so a lot of times we think that we're not forcing them because of the way we're presenting it but really it's still um a way of forcing if you're saying that they must do something if right. that's the message that is coming across so sometimes we can say it in a nicer way or we could be like you know i i love this meme that's going around it's like oh you know mom says you know you're not getting you you can't leave the table until you, you finish your whole plate of chicken and then it's like okay you can't get leave the table until you eat three bites of chicken okay just eat the chicken and i'll give just eat one bite and i'll give you like you know a whole sleeve of of cookies or something right, you know right. it's like we we start somewhere and like we just realize this is not working and my clients that come to me initially i always say that you know it could be that you've seen a lot of success um, in these forcing tactics. And I, I know because I've been there, I saw so much success. My daughter was eating it. She was, I was making her and she was. Um, but then at the end of the day, that's so short term. And again, what's going to happen when they go off to a friend's house? Are they going to eat it? Like, are you, what, what is, what's the purpose? Is it about them eating that piece of broccoli here and now, or do you want them to like broccoli and enjoy eating it and want to eat it when you're not around too? So, you know, it, it's, we need to kind of focus the short-term goal, which doesn't, it works, but again, it's so short-term and it's not really helping us um, develop kids who have healthy eating habits. Um, and then what's our long-term goal, which is that they should be able to 
have a healthy relationship with all foods in all different um, situations. Right. Um, so I actually wanted to bring up a case, if that's okay with you. Sure. Um, we we don't have that much time left, but I wanted to I wanted I wanted somebody who's listening who has no background in division of responsibility or um, intuitive eating to really get how this would work. And I also want to address the point that it's not black and white because I think that a lot of at least a lot of the parents that I work with say like, well, is this black and white? Because this isn't working for me or this is too scary for me. And I'm like, it's, it's never black and white. Every, you know, it's individualized. Um, so this mom, she has six kids and she, the way she describes it is that, is that mealtime is very, you know, overwhelming. The kids are asking for a lot of things and they're, this is coupled with a lot of years of restriction. Restriction meaning like there were limitations on the food at the meals. Like you can only have one piece of challah, you can only have two pieces of challah. Also coupled with the kids noticing that when they don't set limits, the kids sometimes eat, overeat to the point of throwing up. So it's to, you know, like, and she does have older kids, like teens, ranging from teens to, I think, a two-year-old. So mealtimes have become stressful, and she, and we're working on it, and I'm teaching her about the division of responsibility. But um, she's so great. She, like, sends me emails with questions, and it's so good to be prepared for the sessions. But she asks really, really good questions. And I would love to hear like your perspective on it. Like, like, you know, with a, with a family of six, it's not every person who I work with has six kids, you know, it really is like, I have three kids. So it's hard to imagine for um, double the amount of kids. But like, let's say she says like, I know what I answered, but I want to hear what you say. Like at, at Chavez, everyone wants more challah. And what about if she's serving a whole meal of food and one of the children only wants challah, you know? So how does she make that fair? Um, how does she, she makes all these different types of food because all the kids want different types of food. What about condiments? What about drinks? You know, like it's a whole picture, you know? So obviously you can't, you can't answer it like on one foot, but what, what, what would you say to that? Okay, so for starters, Shabbos meals, I have uh, some pet peeves. Um, this is kind of about like the example that dessert served on, on the plate. Um, one of my biggest pet peeves with Shabbos meals is the amount of courses that there are. Oh yeah. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> so you just gave the example of the challah and many times this is what goes on because the challah is what, what we start with. And many times kids are hungry. They come to the meal hungry as they should. Mm -hmm. Um, and they want to, they want to just eat. So they're filling up on the challah before the rest of the meal has been brought out. Um, so one of the best ways to do this is really to have the food prepared in advance and the food ready to go. So this way, it's kind of like everyone gets a piece of challah and, and the, the rest of the food is out. So it's not, oh, all there is to eat is challah and maybe some dips and that's all we're eating. And then, you know, we're filling up on that. Right. Let me interrupt you for one second, because I want to say this is probably my client's biggest concerns. A lot of their biggest concerns, they come to the meal on Shabbos. They've been taking care of everyone else the whole day. They're literally starving, and what do they see? Fresh bread. Obviously, they're going to eat a lot of bread. So yeah, I love that. Just I, I say that too, or or I'll tell a mom like you know make yourself a plate of delicious food before Shabbos and enjoy it. But I love that. You know the food should be ready to go because of course it makes sense if you're starving, the child's starving, if an adult's starving, and there's fresh bread on the table with dips. That's what we're gonna eat. Yeah, and I like what you said also, because if you're coming to the table starving, and I'm sure you do a lot of work with this, and you know, in terms of the, the hungerfulness scale, um, if you're coming to the table starving, and it's been like, you know, you're, you're kind of on the scale, you're got into that, 
you know, number that it's kind of not just a, a, you know, normal hungry, but you're starting to get into that starving mode, then you're going to come to the table in a very different way than just, you know, um, the appropriate hunger for um, meal appetite and to have a meal. Um, right. And I say the same thing about kids and that's where like the when um, in division of responsibility really comes in and that's up to the parent to have the when because we can kind of know this and we're responsible in this way to plan this accordingly. Um, and young children really need to eat every two to three hours. So if your kids are coming to the table starving, that's also not gonna set them up to be so successful at the meal because, um, and just like adults really, we go into that starvation mode and then we just need to eat whatever's in front of us and we can't even stop just for a minute to wait for the rest of the meal. Right. Um, so that's another thing with your kids, you know, really to incorporate a feeding schedule so that way kids are not coming to the table starving hungry because um, that's not beneficial either. We want them to be hungry so that they're motivated to eat and they'll enjoy the meal, um, but we also don't want them to get into that starving mode. Right. Um, yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit more about the family, um, if I could. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's funny that you said, um, you know, a family of six, uh, you know, six kids. Um, and, and that dynamic can make things, you know, much harder because there's a lot of people, there's a lot of things going on and it could be much harder, but in some ways it could also make things really much easier because you have that family sitting down at a meal and you have everybody, um, coming together and you have it, it's more like, um, structured in that way. And it can be really, really nice and really helpful. Um, because I have some clients who come to me and they have, let's say, one, one child um, or two, two young children. Um, and it can get difficult. They're like, you know, it's like they don't want to come to the table or they're not ready to eat or this is happening and that. And, and they're young and they're children and that's, and that's normal. And I always say, you know, as they get older and maybe as a family grows, if, if it's planning on growing, it, it does sometimes get easier. That being said, it is always easier if it's, you know, again, um, put into practice, you know, earlier on, it is very hard to kind of change gears when your kids are a lot older, like you mentioned for this family, they have teenagers, they have younger kids. Um, so it is harder to start putting things into practice, but it can be done. Um, and if you kind of enlist the older kids also to help you out with the younger kids, um, it really does help. So you'll have a lot of help in terms of them being able to bring food to the table and being able to plate things, you know, on serving dishes and bring it out and serve. Um, and that can be really helpful in terms of the parent and the mother in terms of her own intuitive eating. She'll have more help available to her. Right. Um, yeah, I was going to say, like, it's, it's interesting because I'm one of nine. So I get like the whole like huge family thing, but I only like, I, I didn't know that perspective as a child. So as an adult raising my own kids, um, it's, it's just interesting because I, so I have three kids and I, I know that when I only had, let's say two kids and they were in the younger, I guess, let's say, let's say I had a two-year-old and a five-year-old, I had the same problem. Like the kids wouldn't come to the table. They weren't hungry. They didn't know they were hungry. They were bored, whatever. And now that like my oldest is like seven and then I have an almost five-year-old, like they do their partial sheets. It's fun. And the truth is, I really like what you said about the courses. I'm still on this because I've realized through my own work of intuitive eating and all the other stuff I do, self-care and everything, I realized like we serve way too much food, way too much food on Travis. And like now that I make the same food every week and my kids look forward to it 
and we usually, I'm very funny about this, at, right after my, my husband makes Kiddush and everyone's eating the challah, I usually bring out the food or like I'll make myself a plate because I'm really hungry and I don't, I'm not satisfied eating a lot of pieces of challah. It doesn't feel good. And then I want to eat the rest of the food, but I'm stuffed. So I think yeah. that you, just, you gave a lot of good information about like how to structure not just the meal, but everything else also. Yeah, I, I hope so. Do you have any more questions for me? Um, I really like learned a lot, honestly. Like I'm really, I, I hope that people listen to this and they, they really think about like what the division of responsibility is and intuitive eating. And I, also I want people to know that it is, it could be implemented in steps. And like what you said, even if the kids are older, it could happen. And not just that, like it could be so beautiful. Like it could, it could turn like this meal time that's like a war zone into something Beautiful. Do you want to share like a client win, like a client who you're struggling with that's like doing really well now or like a story or something like that? Um, yeah, sure. So, um, oh, there's so many, which one to choose? Um, <laughs> so I guess really my favorite um, kind of stories are the clients that do take my Feeding Fundamentals course and then they want to, um, and I offer this as an option if they want to sign up to be a one-on-one -on -one client after that just to get specifics for their, as we said, every family is different, every child is different, every parent is different, every, you know, family situation is different. So if you need, you know, a little bit more to kind of tweak and figure out, you know, how exactly what feeding schedule works for your family, this one's doing this, this one's doing that, you know, how to, fit, how to navigate that, how to figure out the family meals and how to really, um, you know, decide what you're serving and how to incorporate all the past restrictions or the past forcing, you know, and how to really put it into, into practice. Um, and so when I have the clients who take my workshops and then, uh, you know, maybe sign up for, a, you know, one or two sessions to just, you know, kind of clarify on how exactly to implement for themselves. Um, and then they kind of send me an email and that's, that's like the best for me because it, it, it's, it's a lot of it is, um basic it's hard to implement and it takes time and you have to stick with it but it's really not hard it's really not hard it's basics of that mindset sh shift and once that shift i mean that's the hardest part but right. once that shift takes place and you you're able to implement it it's 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 so beautiful so when i get the, these emails saying like you know the 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 dynamic of my family totally changed it's like we used to battle over this you know food or we used to you know i used to be screaming at mealtime and this one sending them away from the meal and you know again total right. havoc to um so much just enjoyment and everybody's enjoying food and everybody's enjoying each other's company and the, the best thing for me is when I hear that, like, now it's just like regular, you know, like it's just pleasant and regular and just happy and wonderful. And we don't have to kind of stress about it. I don't want you to have to always think about food. I don't want you to always have to think about, you know, you, how you're going to feed your kid. Like this should not be a stress. It right. really yeah. should not be a stress in today's day and age. Right. I, I my, with my clients, I don't know why there's feedback, sorry. Um, but like when they say like, yeah, well, I, I remember a client telling me, I, I walked into a bakery, I bought a coffee and I left and it was magical. And I'm like, really, why? She's like, because I usually would buy like pastries and just eat them in my car. I never didn't do that. And I'm like, yeah, like food doesn't have to be such a big deal. It doesn't have to be a fight, a battle, like the worst part of your day. It could just be at the time when we like nourish our bodies and it feels good and then we move on. 
Yeah, and it's it's interesting to see because, you know, for for those of your listeners, I'm on Instagram at Alisheva Wiener, and um, I used to post a lot and a lot of my feed and a lot of my stories. I used to post a lot about food, and now like now I'm in I'm in this place where it's like I don't even post about it because it's just so normal and regular. It's almost like it's not it's not a whole thought process. It's not a whole. It just it just is because we're we're so in tune and we're just so in sync. And it's such a beautiful thing to not have to have food take up so much space in your brain and the way you do things. It's like, it's just so nice to just live and, and focus on, on other things. Um, and I'm, I'm finding this for myself. And when my clients reach out to me and tell me the same things, it's, it's, it's so amazing. It's so amazing to see. And it really leaves us to parent in the best way that we can because that stress is not there. And we can just kind of have a good time with our kids, which is really all parents want. Right. Totally. I know I posted something yesterday on Instagram. I don't remember exactly what I said, but I was saying like that food doesn't have to be such a big deal. All foods can fit. And somebody wrote back to me who I, I think I met from Instagram and she's very, she's also an intuitive eating counselor. And she's like, what you posted is more for the beginners. Like, I don't even think about food like that anymore. And I was like, it's so funny because most people don't say that. Like most people are really like, I can't, like what we were talking about before, I can't imagine serving dessert with my with dinner. I can't imagine eating it without guilt. I can't imagine walking into a store and not eating everything I see because of all that restriction, you know? And like, I don't know, I'm just, this was such a great interview. I'm so happy that like we really covered a lot of ground and like there's so much, I, I want people to know that there's hope and it doesn't have to be that like, we're stuck in this diet mentality and this food battle with our kids. Like there really is, this is like, it's so beautiful. Yeah. And this for me, like, um, I'm not sure when you're going to put out the podcast, but this month, the month of July for me is just a month of a lot of hope because again, it's, it's my second daughter's birthday month. And, um, this, you know, when I look back and I think about her as a baby and the, the amount of stress and the amount of, um, just, really like dysfunction that was going on was so intense and so extreme and it was such a big part of my life and now to see her as an almost six-year-old um you know my most adventurous eater loving food enjoying and not even you know it's it's not even the thing it just there's a lot of hope out there and i want people to continue to search for it until they find it um because you're not alone and there are people who are going through the same things that you are and there is real real hope and real change can happen definitely okay so so i was going to ask you where could we, where could people find you but if you wanted to end the podcast with anything extra anything else you want to say or you want to just tell us where we can find you sure so um you can find me on instagram at Sheva wiener and you can also find me at thefeedingspecialist.com. And as always, um, if you want to reach out, you can always send me an email at thefeedingspecialist at gmail.com. Okay, great. So I'm going to put all that in the show notes so people can find you. And thank you so much for coming. It was so great. Thank you, Gila. Bye. Bye. Thank you all so much for being here on my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. If you'd like to learn more about what I do and what intuitive eating is, Please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or follow me on Instagram at Gila Glassberg. Thank you so much. Have a great day.